Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. All right, welcome back to Octavia's Parables. This is Adrienne Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we are excited to be back with you for chapter 15 of the parable of the sower. Um, We're reading chronologically in order uh, the entire parables. And as we jump in, we always try to give some announcements. So a couple of announcements. Um, If you haven't seen the news already, Octavia's parables is on the New York Times bestseller list, (laughs) which is massive, 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 and a long time coming. And I think I, like many, many of us, you know, it's just like, what? That hadn't happened already? Like, that's wild. So I'm really proud of her and grateful for your work, Toshi, grateful for this podcast, grateful for all the different... I feel like there's a whole field of us who've been like, up, 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 lift her up, up, up. Come on, y'all, lift, listen, listen. Um, Yeah. So It's really beautiful. It's taken many, many hands and uh, many readers. And this is the right time for it. Absolutely. And then um, I also wanted to uplift one of our listeners, um, Amora Blessing, Bethany Blessing, sent us a note and was like, whoa, I'm going to read it verbatim. Whoa. Lauren's personality and soul tarot card is eight, the justice card, which is all about balancing the decks and understanding what is fair, what is right inside of a complex world. How do we find a path forward? And Mm. Octavia's life card is the emperor. And that's all about finding the structures and systems and um, the ways that we can have a code and interact with each other. It really is the perfect card for someone who's going to create earth seed. Uh, it's like, here's some guidance, right? These are, these are a new set of 10 commandments. This is like a new way of moving forward. So that was exciting. And then this last little bit of information, which is that Lauren Olamina, the character would have been born in the year, the same year that Octavia Butler, the person actually transitioned. Mm-hmm. I love the, <laughs> there's a little, you know, there's all these little sacred alignments that are just like, oh, yes. that's fascinating. Like, um, right when she reached that point where her character had come into the world, she left it. And mm, I just think mm. it's interesting. So thank you. We love when the listeners are engaging and adding to our experience. And Toshi, do you want to speak at all about the 100 years, 100 women thing that you're doing and yeah i would love to uplift that so um at the uh park avenue armory and the uh, national black theater and a lot of different um organizations got together to sponsor support uh a hundred or more honestly artists to have a statement around the uh the 100 year anniversary of the 19th amendment um, you can go to a hundred years a hundred women dot net and you can search um by folks' last name and it's beautiful work, beautiful, beautiful work. So please go and check it out. Um really powerful. Beautiful. I'm grateful mm, thank for you, you doing that work. 
Thank you. Um, Thank you for remembering. (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, thank Kat. Kat is paying attention to everything, and she's like... Kat's awesome. We want to make sure. You know, it's producers who produce are so productive. It's so good. Um, So we're coming into chapter 15 here, and we know the past couple of chapters have been hard, and they're the transition chapters, and now we're heading into a new setting, a new world, uh, the journey is begun. The journey has begun. And Toshi, can you bring us into the earth seed of chapter 15? Yes. Kindness eases change. Earth seed, the books of the living, Sunday, August 1st, 2027. That is one of my very, 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 very favorite verses. And Absolutely. in this pandemic period has been the one that I say the most. <laughs> um, yes. Because I, I definitely have found the need to remind myself that kindness is necessary and kindness is possible in changing conditions. So I'm grateful for this medicine. And give us where we are. We are, our survivors have survived. We have three. Yeah. Where are they? We have three survivors and um, they're in a kind of a, a recuperative mode. Harry has been wounded. Zara is, is both, all three of them are incredibly grief stricken, but Zara's really, really um, just shattered in tears um, over the attack on her herself and the loss of her child. Um, that she, we learn how her child was killed and it's brutal. And we learn who, who it is, the paints. And um, the paints, uh, I think we talked about them already. We have, but, but we could remind yeah. folks a little. Yeah, they're they're on a, a drug called pyro and they think fire is everything. And it makes them incredibly violent on such an extreme level. Um, they just without a care in the world and the adrenaline towards like their brutality is, is something that we absolutely never, ever, 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 ever want to experience. Um, and they come into the community and they, they just wreck everything. They set everything on fire and they kill lots and lots of people in really horrific ways. So Zara is, is feeling that Lauren is feeling that Lauren is a little, a little bit more, I don't want to use the word stable, but she's in her zone. She's in her survival zone. And so she has, she has just this incredible ability to sit in the present and actually start to think about her next steps. Right. So this is what, this is what this is. This is, this is Lauren um, taking care with her friends and uh, trying to heal Harry. And she's actually thinking, you know, once he's together enough, she's going to leave. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. you see this generosity, but also she has a she has a plan. Right. And you get to this chapter, you get to learn a lot more about um, Zara and Harry, you know, their personalities and a lot more about Zara's background, um, how she came into the community that she was sold by her mom, um, but that it provided the first home she ever had. She was on the streets her whole life. And, um, and you know, she was uh, one of the wives of Richard Moss. And Richard Moss, I'm not a big fan of Richard Moss, but no. she says that, like, he didn't beat her and he didn't abuse her in this particular way so that it was actually 
um, more stable setting than what she had before. Um, she was eating regularly. Um, she wasn't liked by the other the wives. She was the youngest one. And we kind of get an understanding that she's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she has this, you know, n- nice, light voice. And um, But this chapter really is, you know, kind of transitional. It's where they start to build their their trio, they make their agreements, and they go to, you know, one of our favorite places in the opera, Hanning Joe's, which you don't ever see in our show, but we sing about it a lot. Hanning Joe's Shop in Peace. And so you, yes. you get a you get a look into the functionality of the whole society, you know? Yes. I think when I first I don't know if this happened to you, but when I first read the book, I really was so, so towards kind of all of the, you know, destruction and, and everything that I kind of couldn't see that there was a functional <laughs> society <Yes>. that like <laughs> there was a grocery store. There was yeah. the Walmart of the future um, as one of the most stable forces inside of communities, mm. um, you know, and that 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 particular store also um ends up with like a a flea market kind of a flea market in the uh what would have been like the basement parking area so it's it's just so interesting and you have yeah. to have a handing disc or cash you can't just go into the store when you get to the door of the store you you have to have a handing disc um and you have to or cash you have to show it to a guard and then they say shop in peace shop in peace <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I actually wrote a song for the show called Shop in Peace, my friend, that actually didn't make it into the show, but it's one of my favorite songs. Shop in peace, my friend. Shop in peace. Shop in peace, my friend. Shannon Joe's has an army. Cameras everywhere. The store is bright and shiny. And no one will bother you. Just as long shop as you have your cash, you can shop, shop all that you want. You can always come back. Shop in peace, my friend. And you also get to learn how how powerful Zara is. That yeah. she's she knows everything. She's 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 very street streetwise and. Um, and it's it's where they make their decisions about how they're going to travel. You know, they make a decision. Lauren is intentionally traveling as a man. They're traveling as two two men and a woman. And they're dealing still with the racism. Um, no matter how bad things, <laughs> we should have a line in the show because we say no matter how bad things get, they'll still be shopping. But we should just say they'll, they'll still, still be racism. Be racism. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be there. It's going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be there. So they make this, they make decisions around that. To make sure that they are are really really covered. Also, Harry refuses Oliver. Right. Um, you know they remember, um, and they also have to make some confirmations because they've seen all this brutality, but they're still not sure about all their family, like who lived, who died. Right. Um, so they're kind of witnesses for each other to to say that it's okay to leave because I saw this, I saw that. Yeah. Um. And it's, it's, 
you also started to learn some of the ingredients of survival, which um, I really love that Zara finds peaches, Mm. Um, that Lauren um, has cash, a gun, a knife, and maps, that Harry and Zara both bought knives um, when they went to the store about what you need to put in a pack to travel. Like very, Lauren has the most stuff. And so she bought like the packs and the things like that for everybody. Um, And, and how they realized how prepared Lauren was. Like she just, you know, like she was, yeah. Oh, that's how you do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and then this is where they start, they start walking. Yeah. So, I mean, this chapter, it is such an interesting pivot place. And it's one of the many times where I'm like, okay, the need to survive trumps the need to grieve for long periods of time. So, you know, I appreciate that Octavia shows us Zara and her grief and that Mm -hmm. we get to see like, okay, you know, in some ways they even prioritize amongst them. Like they've all lost Um, but she's the one who they give some space and time for her to just feel. And then I really appreciate the conversations that they're in, you know, just like, oh, we have to actually address each of these pieces. And one of my favorite conversations in the book happens in here where Zara and Lauren are having a conversation about, you'll be my teacher now. (laughs) Basically, Lauren is like, oh, you you know, I've been preparing myself against kind of a theoretical reality, right? I, I've i been preparing to survive a world I've never actually been in. You've actually been there. You know what it was like. You've survived in ways that I conditions I can't actually even imagine. And so I love that conversation between the two of them where Lauren is just like, you'll be my teacher now. And mm-hmm. Zara's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, everyone who has survived out here has things that I need to know. I'll watch them. I'll listen to them. I'll learn from them. If I don't, I'll be killed and I intend to survive. And Zara's like, they're all going to sell you a a bowl of shit. (laughs) You know, like they're going to, you know, you're that whole thing of like, you're naive and you can't trust these people to teach you things. And she's like, yeah, but I'll buy as few of those as possible. Which I think it's like, you know, that there's no other way I'm going to learn but from paying attention to how people are surviving, which is, to me, such a core principle. It's like, look at how Mm -hmm. people are actually surviving the impossible conditions of our times, and there you will learn how you too can do it. Um, So I think that that part is beautiful and reveals so much about the way Lauren moves into relationship and moves into space. Like, there's such a survival-based relationality in her yeah and which can come off as transactional at times but it's also incredibly useful in this setting and then i'm really fascinated about the racial dynamics of the group and the choices they make that lauren basically is like a trans person for this period of the walk is trying to uh, show up as a man and cuts her hair, wants to be perceived as a man in this space because it'll be a safer move if she and Zara look like the couple and that mm-hmm. Harry is their white friend because the way right. the racism will play out is if they are perceived as a mixed race couple, 
then there'll be an even higher target. It's an even more unpopular um, combination, which I'm also fascinated by this. I feel like Octavia did a lot of mixed race couples and had an interest in that in her writing, you know, in Kindred. Um, It's also a mixed race couple and that plays out a lot into the story. I think it was a lot of what was happening in the 70s and 80s um, as a way that people were really exploring what it meant to be in race, in cross-race relationships and was the direction we were heading in. And it's still today. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like yeah. it's still such a constant conversation and a returning conversation is how are we in relationship to love and race? Like what's happening in that realm um, and to desire and race, you know. But I love this yeah. framework of and safety, you know. And safety because the reality is, is we so stuck around it, you know, and yeah. it's dangerous. I, I When I was a kid, it was so I would like I was a kid in the sixties, so yeah. I was like my mind was blown whenever I saw like a like a mixed race couple and it would yes. it you know, it would just because it, it was so rare. It was really rare. It was yeah. just like it would be like, Whoa <laughs> like, Y'all are mom, yes. <laughs> mom, look at that. You know, mm-hmm. and um and then I remember when I got to New York and my dad lived in West Beth and it was like a artsy fartsy building and so it was like much, you know, much more, much more, much more, you know, the dynamics were bananas, though. Like, even as a kid, I would just be like, this is bananas. Like, yeah. it just, <laughs> it, it felt bana- It felt crazy. It was like everybody was high and all kinds of things were going on. But it was just like, like blast. But <laughs> has that ever shifted for you? Um, You mean like it being wild, whoa, or... Yeah, like has has it ever gone to a place where you're just like, oh, I don't notice that, or I notice it, but it doesn't impact me the same oh, way I, as you navigate your own. Yeah, or, you know? I, I don't really notice. I, I notice it just as an awareness of like who people are, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not in the, oh my God, you know, like when I was like in 19, you know, I was born in 64. So like you're in right. 19, you know, in 1966, I you know, 1967. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than you, yeah. I, I I'm it's because I'm really five. That's, You're that's really my so heart fine. age. Yeah, I'm great. five years old. But yeah, <laughs> I have lived all of these years and um mm-hmm. which I'm more shocked <laughs> that I've lived all these years than I am about, you know, who people are, are getting getting with. But yeah, it's definitely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm still here. Um That's right. But that that yeah. But it was it just was also because of the revolution that was happening. Yeah. And so yes. like the revolution comes straight out of segregation and it comes out of, I was in the South, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. So it was, it was like, you know, there are places where it's just illegal for it to happen not that yes. long ago. And I don't even know if all the laws actually got changed, you right. know? I mean, it's like how we find that all these like anti-gay laws are still in the books still there. and things. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was it was weird. It was just very weird. And yeah. but um, I was around, you know, um, all kinds of people, but it wasn't they weren't necessarily like, you know, married or in these relationships. So mm-hmm. it was it was really different. You know, it was really different. Yeah. And then I, I just remember the first time, like I also saw like lesbians, you yeah. know, like oh, yeah. and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're kissing. Um I feel it's like it's hard this, to believe that yeah, there's I mean, a it's time amazing. that you that you never 
saw out open and then all of a sudden it happened and then yes. you were like whoa you know i'm very happy is. that people don't have to be experiencing that in most in a lot of places now to, yeah to the same degree i mean i definitely yeah. like you know i grew up on military bases so mixed everybody was mixed <laughs> or it seemed mm. like everybody and all the families were mixed but nobody was queer and you know no one was visibly queer out queer uh now i look back and i'm like oh there were tons of gay people around me but i didn't have a yeah. have a radar or a cultural grasp on even being able to articulate that but when i think about the racial components of this you know it was just like when i first read this it was so interesting to me like oh yeah people would be so you know the idea that people would basically go into a regressive racial mindset under these conditions of like, are you my people or not? You right. know, like, um, what are y'all doing together? Like, are you know, people should stay with their own kind. Like that kind of approach would be, you know, uh, and I think often has been something that people revert back to when they're in survival conditions. And I've heard people say that a lot about incarcerated spaces, that incarcerated mm. spaces very quickly get into a like a re-segregated or um, really, you know, racially broken apart space. And, yeah, you know, I thought it was really interesting for her to put that here and for her to give Lauren the opportunity to, to explore, you know, showing up as a man and having showing up as a man being part of their safety plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's something else. Um, I'm real. I also really like, you know, how detailed she is about what it means to travel on the highway. Like yes. uh, that she, you know, that these maps, one, are super, super important and that they start to have an understanding of, of what's there. That, you know, there's people on bikes, there's electric cycles, there's a couple of cars. At night, she sees um, some trucks, an occasional cop that does nothing. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, all starting to plan like, oh, what is the way to walk on the highway? What is the way to be on the highway? Talking about like, don't eat, don't drink anything. Like, yeah, don't, don't let people try see not, that you have things. Yeah, don't let people see that you have things. And all of the kids, like all of the young people, um, and especially like kind of uh, boys, Keith's age and, you know, like just that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a whole universe unto itself happening. I love all that. And I also love how they are like, you know, it's like, oh, people are exhausted. People are, <laughs> you know, it's like all backgrounds of people, every kind of person yeah. that she can imagine she sees there. And it's just this flow and everyone's heading north. No one's going south. Everyone's going north. So it's like yeah. everyone's sort of flowing in the same direction towards maybe Canada, you know, just away. Like we've got to go further north. Um, and I think there's some, you know, people are filthy. There's there's yeah. um, also that idea of predation, that there are people here who are, they're out here trying going to survive based on what they can get from us as prey, from people they see as prey. Mm-hmm. And That's right. Um before we go to the questions, I think one of the other pieces that's happening in this that I really appreciate is that Lauren is really in a consideration around 
they don't know about her sharing her hyper empathy syndrome. And, um, you know, I always, every time I read, read this again, I'm reminded because it's so clear to me, like Lauren has hyper empathy syndrome. It's such a major factor about Mm -hmm. her that I often forget that she had it in secret, that she was hiding, that she was trying to survive. Um, and, so that she gets this place where she's like, oh, I'm going to have to tell them this because we're this triad and they're not going to be as safe if they don't know that I have this. But she's in the process of making that decision. She hasn't actually gotten there yet. And I appreciate that interiority, right? That like, oh, there's something I've got to figure out how to communicate. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not quite there yet. To me, that's an indication of her commitment level to them right it's like she was planning to go by herself (laughs) she was like i'm not trying to make myself vulnerable to more people but here i am now with these two people and this is one of the first times we get to see an active adaptation unfolding and i just love to slow it down there because i think so often adaptation happens in this way where there's first some internal real you know it's like stuff starts to change and you're reacting Mm -hmm. you're moving and then there's some internal, oh, things are changing. I'm going to have to change my plan when and right. how and why and, you know, how's that going to happen? And I feel like we rarely, you know, sometimes we notice it happening in ourselves. I am changing. And a lot of times we don't. And in this, it's like you're already on the road with these people now. <laughs> You've already, yeah. you know, each night you add a level of commitment. Um, and it also made me think a little bit in... Bell Hooks' book, All About Love, she talks about compersion, I think it is, where you kind of end up going along with intimacy because it's happening, whether it's actual choice or longing for intimacy. It's like, well, we are here now. Uh, Maybe it's not compersion. I'm always trying to get the words mixed up, but she just talks about this idea of like, it's something that's not quite love, but it's habit. And I feel like that Mm -hmm. happens a little bit for Lauren here, where it's like, she's so used to being in community and accountable to others. And yeah working this way that when she has the moment where it's like now she can go off by herself or she can uh she can go off by herself or she can keep these two people alive and help them move forward and it becomes something that she chooses i will keep these people alive i think she also i think i think also because she's so you know into survival she starts to realize how useful it is to actually, you know, that Zara actually knows so much about what's happening and that Harry, um, you know, might be out of the three of them, the one that's the most like thinking before acting and things like that. But he's also a powerful physical force and, I don't know. I thought I felt like she was like, wait, I could do something with these people. <laughs> like I that's could, right. I could make a. I could make a team. Um, that's right. Exactly. Like there's there's stuff that each of them have not only to teach me but to provide to my survival. Yeah. Okay. The word is definitely not compersion. I can't remember what it is, but it's that. <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody text you? <laughs> no, I just yeah, looked it up on my. I was like, hold on. I know because compersion is actually something I love, which is when someone else's pleasure and joy bring you pleasure and joy. So uh, it's actually a wonderful thing. It's kind of a it's kind of like a hyper empathy of joy and pleasure, um, which is 
for people who do open relationships, compersion is actually a goal, right? Is that you want to be in a place where Ah. instead of feeling jealousy for your partner, you know, being with someone else, you start to feel compersion. Like, thank God they're experiencing that connection or joy or orgasm or whatever. Um, Wow. Do people, are there people who have that? Oh yeah. I mean, I've had that. I have that. Um, Like I'm, I'm wired this way where my, my default position is generally not jealousy, but mm. sometimes it'll be curiosity. And sometimes mm-hmm. I've reached compersion for, for some people. Although the thing I've never been able to get is compersion and in loveness. So like if I just have a lover, uh, right? Like if I'm just like, oh, you're yeah. just my lover. Like it's more casual. Then I get a lot of comp- I'm like, yeah, tell me all about it. That sounds great. Glad you had that. Yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but somehow when I Yay. cross over the bridge of in loveness and I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't actually want <laughs> that for you. So I'm trying to still grow. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> I'm like, no, I only want you to feel pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. So, no. you know, we're all, we're Sit all down right here next so to I'm me. I'm like, this is right where you can feel joy is here in my bed. Um, so I'm still growing. I'm still growing. Um, I love you, though. <laughs> um, I just want to, there's yeah. one before you get to the questions. Good, um, good, good. I think one thing is that, you know, just in her growing to really understand Zara is that she, she's, you know, aware like, oh, here's this person that's been around us this whole time and you made assumptions about her uh-huh. um, based on like what her positioning was yes. and missed out, you know, and the next chapter, there's more around that. Um, so it just reminds me to, you know, think about my circles and to make sure that I'm not making decisions about people based on something other than what, what, who they are. Who they actually are, right. Who they actually but then, are. I mean, I think we do that so often. Like, we have so little data about so many people whose paths we cross all the time. Yeah. We actually have so little information. And I love the, you know, there's that thing of, like, you actually can't see and you don't know what people are going through. So mm-hmm. that's where kindness eases change also seems so helpful to me is there's so many times when I have come across someone and I read them as being mean or grumpy or short or cold or something else and and if I was able to offer kindness and we came back around into another moment I would learn that something had been going on in that moment that I couldn't have imagined Mm. and I think that happens all the time and right now I think that's on hyperdrive that almost every person I'm speaking to now it's safe to assume that they are exhausted stretched overwhelmed probably grieving like all of that is also happening and because we live in the society we live in we're also still trying to keep up our levels of normal productivity (laughs) and that combination is too much for most of us and so there's moments where we snap or break or come up short or whatever and it's like oh how do I keep dropping into even just being able to sustain curiosity uh what is Mm -hmm. happening with you especially if you're tied mm-hmm. to my survival. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so some questions we have for this one. The first one is related to what we're learning about Sarah's story and the fact that she was purchased and was purchased into being someone's wife and comes from this other background and then is like living in this right gated community and all of that. And so I think, the question I have is what are the oppressions that exist inside of your 
safe neighborhood or a neighborhood that doesn't look like it would have slavery or that it would have that kind of ownership or that it would have domestic violence or that it would have these other dynamics. Um, Mm. I think so often mm, conditions of great oppression and inequity are allowed to exist because we assume it's over there and far away from us. Right. And we are not attending to what is actually happening. Or sometimes we'll have like a little inkling, you know, something's not Mm -hmm. right over there. But we don't always follow up on that to be like, what's actually happening? Yes. Yeah. A second question I have is, what are the unpopular and potentially dangerous identities to have in this moment? And, Mm, you know, as Octavia was writing about mixed race... Um, you know, I was thinking, okay, what would the, what would those be today? And I think there's, you know, some that feel very clear to me being undocumented, being trans. There's some that seem a little less clear to me. So when I'm traveling as a queer person, I notice certain places, especially in the last four years, this has shifted again, but there's certain places I'll go where I'm like, oh, I can feel my tattooedness. I can feel my piercings. I can feel mm-hmm. the different language that is showing what my beliefs are um, that are just on my surface. And I can feel now more when I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, you disapprove of my existence. Right. And the question that's tied to that question for me is what adjustments would you make um, for the sake of safety? So, you know, I have spent my whole adult life being like, I am not hiding any part of who I am. And y'all going to have to deal with it and handle it and take it. And I'm big and I'm queer and I'm this and that. And whenever I read this, I'm noticing how Lauren is like, oh, very quickly, I need to shave my right. hair, you know, cut my hair. And I need to make these adjustments. I need to put these pants and on. And wear this jacket. And it's not all I've about my so individual... Much identity being asserted I want to live and it's a totally different way of framing things so yeah I I want to I want people to be thinking about that for their own communities and for themselves Mm -hmm. right what identities do you walk with that are a joy that are a celebration that are a brave act in this moment that could be a liability in these shifting conditions um, yes. Yeah. Do you have Do you have those where you're just like, these oh are? Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. I mean, majority of my life, I'm I'm, I'm like, people uh, think I'm a man, mm-hmm. and they think I'm a black man, and so it's I it's, and, uh, so a couple of times. I mean, I've had I've experienced violence around it. Yeah. Um. I <laughs> had. Um, women go and get their husbands and bring and bring them to talk to me about oh being in the goodness. bathroom. Yeah, and you know, I've had about I've being had, in the um, bathroom. Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. You know, and um, I've had people scream, scream, and run out of the bathroom and be like, "There's a man in here. There's a man in here." Um, and uh, and then when we were on tour, um, after one like kind of particularly scary situation where the man the lady went and got her husband and I was already out of the bathroom I was like buying something and he came up to me and he kind of was like 
you know, what's wrong with you, man? And then he looked at me and he was like, I'm so sorry. Right. Like he, he right away was like, you know, oh. I'm so sorry. Let me, you, again. And he starts yelling at his wife. He's like, what's wrong with you? Like, why, you know, that's a woman. Why'd you do that? And I don't, you know, I don't have like a real mm. powerful thing about if you, you know, a man or a woman, like I, I just, I'm just like, you know, most of the time they're like, Hey, yes, sir. How are you doing? You know, Hey poppy, you yes. want to buy this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, Hey, hi. I just roll with it. But the, the violence of, of, um, you know, the violence is, is really scary. And I had one particular international incident, um, that where I, I w- was physically like thrown on the floor because oh, it was honey. like the frustration. It was like, you could see like I was coming through and then like the way I looked and then like I had a cane and like that I had the cane. They were trying to send me out. They took all my stuff, all this stuff. And I eventually got thrown back through the metal detectors. Um, oh my God. And um, what they didn't know was I was traveling with about 45 people. So when I hit the when I hit the ground because I hit the ground really hard, I started crying, and as soon as I started crying, all of these people poured out of the line. It was it was pretty impressive resistance, and then I'm not even going to say because I don't because apparently after it was a it was an incident like they yeah. they were they were shocked and they had guns, so they were shocked and then they started letting everybody through security. Like wow. everybody, everybody, because they couldn't control it. And then any, like all these other black people in the, you know, in the airport were like, what's going on? What's going on? It was, it was crazy. And after that, I never internationally flew coach again. And uh-huh. this is like, like, I just, I just was like, this is an issue of like class. And this is an issue so of lot, like, yeah. I'm a differently able person. This is an issue of like, you know, I, I'm a woman and, and you're like, no, you're a man. And now I'm upset that you, that I thought you were a man, but you're not. Cause I look at your ID and it says this and oof, the, oof, like oof. Wh- why these people got so violent over that particular thing. And after that, I just, I just stopped, I just stopped doing it. And, um, you know, and I've been really blessed that, you know, people will be like, can you come here? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not flying coach. You know, because the experience um, flying first class meant like that people just, just cared less about what I look like, you know, and it's, and I know a lot of people who say like when they get into first class or things like that, um, that, that people of color, um, that, that it's, it's hard that people challenge them and things like that. But for me, um, one, I'm assumed to be a large black man in first class. Uh-huh. That's, and then, uh-huh. <laughs> Mr. Regan, can we get you Mr. Regan? <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. correct them there because I'm like, no. Um, but uh, because, I, because again, I've there's certain situations where I realize that it's dangerous that people think I'm a man um, when I'm a, a woman and they get mad at me. Like right. they get angry, like, right, and I'm right, like, right. why are you angry? Like, it's not deep at all. Like, I right. I love all of these parts of me. Why are you mad? But they get mad, and then they want to be violent, and I'm just like, right. Well, because it's ugh. it's. I find that when your existence is 
goes against what someone's whole worldview is, right? Where it's like, this is this and that is that. And for some reason, that categorization has given dominant, um, dominant uh, identities, has given them so much comfort, right? It's like, I can categorize from categorization, I can control. And from control, I will never be unsafe. You know, there's this cycle that's unfolding. And then your existence comes and it's like, you're not safe because none of the things you believe are actually true. Your categorizations can't hold me. Um, You're going to have to, you know, I think it throws people into such, such a panic. And I, the experiences, you know, I have similar experiences of international travel um, once with a partner who was masculine presenting and, um, having a taxi driver physically attack us. And I had to like mm. hit them with my big ass purse and, you know, like we're in a street, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, that's not yeah. happening. And thank God I carry a big ass purse. I had, um, and that same trip actually, then a flip of that privilege where, because the person I was traveling with was a white person, they went down to get a cab. And then when I, sh- when I came down behind them with all the bags, they saw that I was black. They were like, I'm not taking you. Yeah. And it also may have been because then that person perceived us as two women. Anyway, the whole thing was, it was just like that, this exact thing where it's like trying to assess what ignorance is happening in you, what closed mindedness, what small perception is happening in you that could be a danger to me. How do I read it? How do I understand it when I no longer mm-hmm. hold myself inside that categorization? And I do think it's one of those perpetual questions for us as we move in these, you know, like this time is different. And yet very old ideas are all coming to the surface. Very right. old ways of thinking are all coming to the surface um, in this time as well. Oy, oy, oy. Um, oy, 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 oy. And then my final question is, what are your priorities when you think about setting off towards safety? And for this one, for Lauren, it's so clear. You know, she talks about how she's thinking about going to Canada where water is cheaper and jobs pay salary. And, you know, Harry's looking at options and he's like, a company town would not be a good future. There's no longevity Mm -hmm. to it so that you know for him he's like I want a place where I can go and actually imagine myself into a long future and I think for people right now I think about that you know I was in Europe when the pandemic started and if it was just me by myself in the world I definitely would have found a way to stay there and just been like Mm -hmm. let me go to one of these places that has banging ass healthcare and it's going to take care of its people and give us like resources to actually make it through this and I'll do that But my priorities include a bunch of people who live in the U.S. and are not going to be leaving the U.S. So for me to feel safe, I need to be able to reach them. You know, Mm -hmm. that safety of my heart means I need to be able to a day's drive from the people I care Mm -hmm. about. So that was, you know, I was like, oh, here's my prioritization. It's actually very quick. It's not, I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm like, how do I take care of and be in relationship with this group? Um, and I think people should, I, I think it's a great conversation to have, especially with people that you think you're in a unit with, Yeah, <laughs> is to just be like, do we have the same priorities about where we would go and why and how and what 
what is the most important part of it? Less important, right? Mm -hmm. So many people who I think would articulate a shared priority of, say, abolition or a shared priority of being able to be free expression of your body and self or other things continue to stay in the U.S. So clearly there's some other priorities that are operating, even if they're not necessarily articulated. Um, yeah. I think right now we have a big priority on comfort and on routine. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. And yeah, those are the questions to sit with for chapter I wanted 15. to ask you a question. <gasps> Ooh. So, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question. So I don't know, somewhere in this conversation we, we had, I had this um, looking at how people are responding. Oh, I know it's when you were like, oh, we, we're, we're exhausted. We're um, mm-hmm. needing to keep the same pace and, and do the same output of work. And, and even though we're, <laughs> we're all in an con- incredible crisis, like yeah. right now, like all kinds of things are happening. And so my question is, what do you think is driving us? Like, what do you think is, is igniting the adrenaline um, to, to almost be going faster and faster? Like, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is a real terror of the unknown. And so productivity is the known, like what we are, you know, what our jobs are, what mm-hmm. we know how to produce, what we know how to do. This is my role. So when these moments come, I think people are like, oh, I, I know how to do my job, you know? So even though there's a pandemic (laughs) where we can't leave our homes, maybe the post office is being shut down. Um, ice is, is giving people hysterectomies. I mean, like there's things that are happening that are, it's, it's unbelievable horrors. And so I think on one hand you have the unbelievable horrors and on the other you have life as usual. And I think Mm -hmm. if people, I think people find some comfort in the, like, I'll just keep producing the life as usual. And I think one of our jobs as visionaries, as revolutionaries, is to give people options for what other ways could look like and other practices and even give people frameworks for why they're doing what they're doing. And I've been really um, in love with uh, the NAP ministry Trisha yes. Hershey, I believe, um, who I'm like, I can't believe we've never met and taken a nap together. But I <laughs> like follow all of her posts, which I feel like are such intervention posts. Like she keeps saying, this is not a normal time. We should not be trying to keep up productivity. In fact, we should full stop and address mm. this abnormal moment. And I've been feeling that way more and more lately that um, starting to feel rage around Mm -hmm. how much we are expected to be still producing and operating as if things are normal. I find my system breaks down when I start trying to do that. So Mm. what I've noticed is if I start to move at a pace that's like what my life was like before my sabbatical, my body almost immediately is like, no, girl. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and I mean, I've been in bed for the last like three days <laughs> with yeah. any number of random things. You know, I'm like, I can't quite tell. I went to get a COVID test yesterday because I was like, I don't know. Nowadays, it's, it's hard to tell um, 
exactly what's happening. But I'm also just like, regardless, I'm exhausted. It's exhausting to be alive and be taking in everything we're taking in right now. And I think that the busyness allows people to think that they don't have time for the grief and they don't have time to actually turn and face what's happening. I also think it it makes people, <clears throat> it keeps people from having to address how they're going to have to change. Mm-hmm. So if you're still able to do your job and get a paycheck doing that job, you don't have to turn and face like, what is your new work? What are the new ways that you're going to have to actually transform yourself in the conditions? And the universe just keeps upping the stakes, you know? So everyone who is in the entire West Coast trying to act as if things are normal are now in evacuation mode. And everyone across the Delta who is trying to act as if things are normal have three different hurricanes and they're heading in their direction right now. The combination of the crisis of administration and leadership with the, the building up crisis of climate catastrophe and devastation. Um, I think very, I think people are just holding on to the last moments of some kind of normalcy. And I think our job is to point the way that's like going through this, turning and facing it, being with each other in it. There's something better on the other side of this. We have mm-hmm. to actually let go of this hyperproductive, hyper disconnected way of living because there's a better way to be human in right relationship with each other and the planet, but it's on the other side of this catastrophe and it's going to require yeah. that letting go. We have to make it appealing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it, it's an inclusive, that's the in- inclusivity we need to bring into our lives. Yeah. Is that is that lying? I know I just feel like it's right on the other side and people are dealing with such, you know, urgent catastrophic conditions and having to, to think on their feet in, in a way. Um, I don't know. A lot of my friends in Cali, you know, have been challenged by the fires a lot. And so it's not it's not that it's that they don't, you know, have an evacuation box or a plan or things like that. It's just yeah. that it's on such another level that what they already know is is really being tested. I'm just sending so much love um, to everybody who, you know, is experiencing um, some real some real crisis right now. And um, I I feel like that's that that part in the um, in Earthseed, which is, you know, uh, shape change, adapt, you know, that is I feel like that's such an intentional thing that you see things happening, you see things going. And when your job is, even if you are going to work to get a paycheck so you can feed people and, and mm-hmm. house people, but when your job is to adapt and to grow and to shift and to shape, then it changes It changes the um, trajectory of, of what can possibly happen. Yeah. Like we have to simultaneously not release our government into the hands of dictators and you know violent people and form these like beautiful circles of community regardless of if we you know as we started out saying regardless if we like somebody regardless if this person is our friend regardless you know you can be in community with people and be like you know side-eyeing them all you want like inside your head (laughs) but you you still (laughs) can actually be a functional community with them and I think that's you Mm -hmm. know this passage of this chapter really shows 
that these people are familiar with each other. They're not deep friends. They're not, you know, they don't know each other very well at all. Their condition brings them together Mm -hmm. and then they have to activate in unknown space with each other, you know, checking each other out the whole time. But inside of it, they're shaping something new. Yes, that's And they're shaping something new with without the intimacy of love or the intimacy of friendship, really. The intim- yeah. They have the intimacy of existing through horror, yes. you know, and then the community that they were all a part of before. Some shared so, norms. Some, some shared, shared norms. norms. Which that Definitely. might be a final question, too, is like, what are the shared norms? Like, who who do you share some norms with right now? Um, yeah. You know, because I, I, I also think that I've been really trying to move lately from thinking of community as this broad, amorphous thing and trying to get much more specific around, you know, some of the shared norms I have are uh, people who have experienced grief or loss. I find that I get along better with other people who have been through grief and who understand that life is not forever, ever, and that we're all going to die and we want to organize ourselves in our life that way. I have shared norms with people who um, are artists and think of themselves as, as it's important to create the world. I have shared norms, right? So it's thinking like, oh, within this whole spectrum of black people, I am drawn within that towards those who find life very precious, who love the earth, who practice magic, who right do these different things. And even if I end up in a situation with strangers, that's the those are the shared norms I'm going to be seeking. And mm. I think in the next chapter, we'll be able to get into that a little bit because that starts to show up for them, who they move towards yes. and away from. But go ahead and be thinking about that. And we will see you next week. Hello, sweet listeners. This is Adrian, And my Virgo nature, I could not just leave the unknown word out there. So when I said compersion, earlier uh, from Bell Hooks's work, what I actually meant, what I figured out was the word is cathexis, cathexis. And it's when you basically bring a lot of focus and attention to a relationship, a person, an energy that it's not necessarily love, but the attention begins to take the place of love. And um, it can be really an unhealthy sort of bypass of actual intimacy and actual love and that people can end up in very long-term situations through cathexis rather than actual um, deep connection. So read Bell Hooks, all about love. It's all in there. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown. It is produced by Kat Aaron and our show art is by Krista Franklin. Yes, and the music is Always See the Stars, performed and written by Toshi Regan. And There's a New World Coming, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan. Um, By the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sowers, um, lead vocals with uh, Shana Smalls. And I think I will add Shop in Peace, which is written and performed by Toshi Regan. All based on Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower. And Delicious. Of the talents. Yes. Delicious. 
Um, I love when you add the songs. It makes me so happy. And it's really the secret purpose for which I'm doing this entire podcast. Um, (laughs) Find us on Twitter at O Parables. And you can sustain our show if you find it of use by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash O Parables. Now we'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody. There's a new world coming. <laughs>